Action. This week on Physically Spiritual, I'm continuing my conversation with Jake Kim. Physically Spiritual comes out of my experience of growing physically healthier and how that revolutionized my spiritual life. I'm passionate about learning the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. And now to continue my conversation with Jake Kim, head back to the previous episode to catch the first half of the conversation. So a hypothetical question, and sure. this is a situation that people run into is, um, the perennial question is how do you find a Catholic counselor? And I don't want you to answer that. But let's okay. say, um, let's say there's a skillful counselor who, uh-huh. uh, who has like an expertise in exactly what I'm dealing with but isn't Catholic yes. versus a, a Catholic counselor who's good but doesn't really have any expertise in particularly what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you and, go? and I've pondered this over the years and, and kind of mm-hmm. where I've, I've shifted a bit on it is, and, and maybe in the context of as I've grown a bit in maturity, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've sought more help from the specialists who specifically have expertise in what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And, I've, and I've been less... Um, I felt less the need to have the same worldview as them because I felt yes. like I've been able to, you know, have that healthy differentiation and um, yes. be able to express myself better. Um, but on the other hand, there's been times in my life where I've, I've broken off a counseling relationship because they had a different worldview and they weren't maybe keeping the best boundaries and encouraging me to do things that I felt uncomfortable with. Yes. Um, so could you talk some about that balance of, uh, That's a great question. Yeah, what kind of counselor to seek out, how to know if it's a good fit? Um, I think the first thing that you'd want to consider is why are you seeking counseling? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, you're implicitly stating that you already know why you're going to counseling. Mm-hmm. And so if you know why you're going, like let's say you're going because you have a poor image of God. If that's your reason for going to counseling, you probably want to make sure to go to somebody who has a healthy understanding of God. But if you're going because you have no capacity to emotionally regulate, well, that's a whole different dynamic. And so that's one. What am I bringing to counseling? What do I need help with? The second is what's my personal level of formation, right? If I'm quite... um, malleable in the sense of, I I don't really know if I believe in God or not. I I like Catholicism. I kind of like to stay, but hey, whatever. I'm not sure. And and you're really influenceable. Then I would say, be careful about going to another therapist, to a therapist who doesn't have a, at least a Christian worldview. um, Because the, it's a slippery slope when you start to get catch wind of these things like, wow, this is amazing. Wow, this seems really helpful. And if you don't have the capacity to actually discern what is long-term and truly helpful for the human person, or what is short-term helpful as in the relief of symptoms or the increase of pleasure, then you can find yourself going down a road for five years and then stop and pop up and go, I'm not the same person. That problem might be better, but I lost myself in the process. I would argue that wasn't worth it. Yeah. A bigger problem shifted that ideally would, wasn't shifted. So one, what am I going for? And two, what's my level of formation? You're describing how, and I can tell based on our conversation, you have a pretty high level of formation. Your worldview is pretty solid and you can articulate it fairly well. At that point, 
you're laughing because you can go to the individual who's excellent at a particular thing and they don't, you don't have to bring that kind of stuff into the room because you have other spots and places where you can go and navigate that. So uh, I'm always a fan of going to the expert, not necessarily the person who lives it. That's actually a principle of John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila when they talk about spiritual directors is you want to go to somebody who knows the spiritual life very, very well. It doesn't necessarily live it well. And I would say it's the same for a therapist. You want to go to somebody who understands the issue very well and knows how to navigate it very well that maybe not necessarily living it. So the question you allowed me to avoid is a really hard question because where's the best Catholic counselor? That is such a hard question because it's like a needle within a needle in a haystack. It's not just the needle in a haystack because you're not going to find people who are excellent at everything and devout Catholics. Um, so I, I would say, let's, I, I can't off the top of my head, I've probably worked with 10 different therapists over the years. And I would say half, if not more, have not had a faith. Uh, or I don't know if they've had a faith, yeah. but I didn't go to them because I'm looking for spiritual uh, help or human formation. I went to them because I, I want to address something and they have a, a high capacity to deal with that issue. So, yeah, I remember a shift in my mind. Um, it's probably the third counselor I'd gone to. And, and I mm -hmm. realized that something in me was continually acting as if I owed the counselor something like there was a bit, little uh -huh. bit of a, that, that misattachment, that, yeah, you know, just yeah. something in my heart that wanted to, to please them, to make them happy. And sure, I just realized, sure. like, like, I'm the customer. Like, I'm, play, I'm paying for this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's right. That's it's right. Like, it's like they're providing the service, and I'm, I'm not here to do something for them. They're here to do something for me. And, that's right. And I think that's so helpful going into that relationship to realize that, um, that, that you're the one paying for it. Like, you're the one who can set boundaries, who can who can say no, who can, um, and, and if, and if the counselor doesn't want to work within your worldview, they can always break off the relationship too. Um, they can. So, so it's actually unethical. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a, it's unethical for a therapist to impose their worldview. I hear it as a Christian counselor all the time. You can't impose your Christian worldview. And then I would say, you're right. Neither can you. Yeah. It doesn't matter which worldview is most popular. What matters is the worldview that the person's walking in the door with. That's the worldview that deserves the most respect. And so yeah. I've had many clients that I've worked with that, that they had no idea that I came from a faith background. One woman I'll never forget. She said, I never looked at your website closely, but as I started looking more closely, you're totally a Catholic. And I was like, yeah, is that, is that an issue? And she said, if I'd have known that, I never would have saw, I never would have worked with you. But now that I'm here, it's great. I've never known a Catholic like you. And I thought, what a beautiful opportunity. I didn't say a word about it. And I evangelized her. I was just trying to love her well. So, yeah. It, and part of it for me is that I had to become attuned to that part of me that wanted to please the counselor, which, mm. which at heart meant I wasn't being authentic in the relationship, which in no. itself is going to, it's going to sabotage the whole process. <laughs> Um, did the counselor pick up on it just out of curiosity? It's actually, um, it was what I first tuned me in was when I decided to leave the relationship with that third mm. counselor. Um, okay. when he was encouraging me to do something I didn't feel morally comfortable with. Uh, yeah. and it was reflecting back on that relationship and me pondering like, 
you know, was, was he just being inappropriate or how was I presenting myself and how was I showing mm -hmm. up in that space? Um, mm -hmm. And then when I entered into my next counseling relationship, um, it was then sort of then being attuned to it and then starting to notice right. it and being able to change it. Uh, so wow. it's something I still wow. have to kind of monitor, I think, in those spaces. Sure, sure. Uh, but I guess that's for, a really for, cool for the audience's sake. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's really helpful because what you're, what you're describing, I think, is really common. We adapt ourselves, especially with a person who has a perception, uh, what's called a power differential. Mm -hmm. uh, counselors, doctors, lawyers, priests, religious leaders, etc. There's an inherent power differential that's there, and it's on the part of the, the helper to manage that power differential. And so I think that's really, I, I love the insight that you're saying because the therapist was interestingly helpful hmm. in the providence of God by not doing what was good for you. I know that might sound crazy, but if you, because you caught it, you stood up for yourself into the relationship. As an outside therapist, I would go, that's incredibly therapeutic. Hmm. The bummer is that the therapist had to do that. You had to go through the, the discomfort. Like that could have happened hopefully or ideally in a more healthy way. But oddly, God can use those things to help heal, you know? So, I mean, just applause and blessing to you that you had the capacity to see, wait a second, I'm compromising myself. This isn't good. I need to go to somebody else. Like that's incredibly therapeutic, like well done. Yeah, I wanna go deeper with that and circle back around because, okay, you know, really examining that in my heart um, you know, it, it, and I think it's common with, uh, you know, children are, are wired to survive, like, it, like the body, just whatever it takes. And, and part of that, what can happen with misattunement or uh, unhealthy attachment or when people encounter trauma is the, the caretaker, caretakee mm -hmm. relationship gets inverted and blurred, um, yeah. where then the child is doing things to care for the parent in order to then get what they need out of them. Yeah, um, so in some sense, I was carrying that into the counseling relationship where I was mm. trying to give the counselor what I thought they wanted in order to manage to get out of them what I thought I needed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, mm. so I, I carried that in. Um, another piece, um, I, I've sometimes um, compared myself in my oh. woundedness to a bodybuilder who never lifts their legs. Um, it, it, in literature like never about the, does leg day is that what you yeah mean? never does or, leg day yeah yeah, yeah exactly okay. Okay. so in like the lateralization of the brain you have kind of the it's an oversimplification but kind of the emotional side and the intellectual side yes um, and i think oftentimes when when there's uh deficits or wounds that cause an emotional break i know for me and and the way that others they cope with that by showing up by by learning more and more Right, so yes. you, you cope with your emotional immaturity with a, an intellectual exaggeration. Um, yeah. so, so historically, through my whole life, I've, I've tackled problems by learning about them. Okay. Um, and I think maybe as a whole church, we might do this. <laughs> um, Good point. But, but my, uh, my understanding of topics um, developed as, as really kind of a, a response to the woundedness of me trying to show up like an adult, even though mm. I felt small inside. 
Um, mm -hmm. But the beauty of the healing journey is even though it's only partway through, obviously, um, mm -hmm. now, now God uses that in his providence for building up his kingdom. Wow. So, so, so there's that, that over-exaggeration of the intellectual, which causes this yes. sort of extreme bulking up of the mind, <laughs> but that, that, that can then in the healing be used for the building up of the kingdom as I am going through physical therapy with my legs to try to be able to right. show up emotionally. That's beautiful. That's a great analogy. It totally, I, I totally, it totally works. I, you said something, well, I, I just want to acknowledge the depth of what you're sharing. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance and depth. So I, I just appreciate your vulnerability. Um, you mentioned feeling little, and I think that's just something that really deserves uh, a measure of pause because I think all of us do. And we all have these places in us that feel little. And then we pretend to be an adult. Mm -hmm. And then we wonder why we're so anxious as an adult. It's actually because at the control centers of that whole thing is actually just a, a young, um, probably hurting part of us that hasn't ever learned how or hasn't ever been fathered and mothered into and into maturity. And that's that is a really hard way to do life. And I would say that that is very common for people. Yeah. So I just want to highlight your vulnerability and story because for your listeners sake that that is more common than we often give it credit for. You know, we we bulk up and compensate for something that we're weak in or afraid of. And often the weak and afraid things are young because uh, yeah. that's when we're really vulnerable. So, yeah. Um, so as we, if we could shift a bit, um, sure. I want to kind of think about the healing journey from the macro perspective, from the wide perspective, because I think okay. what often brings people to the healing journey or to counseling is like a specific struggle. It's like, mm. I do this sin and I don't want to do it. And in spite of how much I try harder and learn more, I'm still doing it. Mm. So then they, so then they enter into a deeper path, um, because tools that are presented to them aren't working yet. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've found in my life is this healing journey is kind of like, um, it's kind of like an excavation. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the goal is relationship with the Lord. Um, and, and whatever that outward manifestation, that symptom is, 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 it's somewhere in that journey. It's somewhere in that descent down into your heart, into God. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be pretty close to the surface and sometimes it might be pretty deep. Um, so um, I think sometimes people can get frustrated when they start on this path because they expect, okay, I'm going to shift up my technique a little bit here. We'll start doing some journaling, go to counseling, get in touch with my emotions, and I'll be better in a few months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but mm -hmm. oftentimes, um, and I know in, in my life, the, the the outward manifestation of sin is sometimes deep down under the layers. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit from your life or from your story of, of kind of that, that journey. You know, someone might say like, Jake, you've been at this for a long time. Like you're, like you're done with this, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but no. as you said earlier, like you're, you're in the journey too. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, several things come to mind. I, I think, all of us have an inherent sense when something isn't right. Mm -hmm. 
the question is whether or not we have the courage to face it. And, and that courage almost always is present if there's a relationship with someone who we know will be there for us and love us through the process. Mm. If you're alone and faced with a significant challenge, it is extremely, extremely difficult to, to manage it. That, like, that's called solitary confinement. It's one of the worst forms of torture you can do to an individual. Um, now flip that with something else that's really difficult. Take like the Navy SEALs, their, their training. They're intentionally never separated from their teammates because that's how you get through it is by being with people and being in relationships. So the, that's a little bit of a, a, a tangent, but I, I yeah. think the, the point is um, we, we notoriously... Uh, we, we see the flashing light on the, the dashboard of our life and go, oh, that's not a big deal. If I just don't look at it, I'll be fine. Just look, the car is running. Like things are going fine. It's not a big deal. But the, the symptom is trying to say there's something deeper down that this light doesn't accurately or fully represent that's going on. If you don't address it, you'll have a bigger problem on your hands. I, I actually know of somebody who dismissed the little oil symbol on their car. And eventually it started putting black stuff out the tailpipe, but they couldn't see it. And so people are like driving by honk and they're like, what is wrong with the world? Like, and they're going, but they couldn't see the black smoke. They dismissed the little symbol on their dashboard. And eventually one day their car wouldn't start. And they're like, what the heck happened? It's not a big deal. And it is a big deal. Like if you don't honor what a thing is like a car if you don't respect its nature it won't work anymore and humans i would say are the are the most intense version of that we're really needy creatures like we have a lot of needs and things to be managed to thrive and so if the goal is just to feel better yeah then go find your silver bullet i mean if that's only your goal then there's a lot of well adapted ways to manage that the problem with those is that they lead to bigger problems like that that's why drugs are common that's why sex addiction is common that's why alcoholism is common is because it it does address a particular problem of pain it works very very well there that's why it's attractive it just creates a way more gigantic problem you know and so the process of healing or the process of recovery, like you have to, I think, really come to terms with what are you looking for? What do you actually want? Um, and that is a sobering question. I think a lot of people can be discouraged or, you know, be hopeless there because, well, if I actually look under the hood, I'm going to see it's an absolute wreck. Like it's a mess in there and I don't want to do that. It's too difficult. And I would say, I mean, if that's if that's what you notice, if you have the courage to lift up the hood, wouldn't it be amazing to have someone walk in and say, you know what, I, I'm I'm an expert in, in cars. I I I know everything about them. I have a really high capacity to fix them. But you know what? My real goal is to be with you. 
I want to be with you while we fix the car. And the car is kind of the secondary thing, but the, the relationships, the primary thing, I think people be like, what kind of mechanic are you? Like, you're crazy. Like, who are you? And that's this tiny little glimmer of the person of Jesus Christ, where we have these dynamics going on. We feel hopeless in how to fix them. We're running to all these areas to take the pain away. It doesn't actually make it better. And we're desperate for somebody to help us. That's exactly the centerpiece of the gospel message. I'm here to help, and I really know how. And, but, but, but why don't you just make it all better, Jesus? Because that's not the point. The point is not just to have your, you be pain-free. Hmm. I can say for my life and my healing journey, if the Lord answered all of my prayers of what I would have him heal, he and I would not be friends right now, yeah. guaranteed, because I would be better and I would go, I don't need you. I'm going to go off and do things my own way and have my own life and whatever. And oddly, the struggle increases the attachment. And if I'm weaving ideas here together, but in, in, a, in the attachment literature, something that's really interesting is when there's a pain or an issue that's arisen, how the parents respond to the difficulty is what actually facilitates the healthiest, deepest attachment. So it's the child crying and being responded to, not necessarily the child being happy and being responded to. Both form attachment. It's the pain that forms the greater attachment. And so what's the ultimate goal? If it's just to feel better, there's all kinds of ways to do that. Just be careful. It'll probably make your life way worse. But if the goal is to actually be better, then it's possible that the real solution is something that you weren't even considering. And so mm -hmm. I've learned that over the course of my life. I really thought that sexual addiction was the problem. Mm -hmm. And I worked really hard and made a lot of progress. And the symptom, which it was, it was a symptom of a deeper thing. The problem went away. Oh my gosh, I'm all better. Everything's great. And then I'm going, why is my marriage not thriving? Why am I still kind of a jerk to my kids? Why do I hate this and that? And I'm like, what is going on? Well, it wasn't, that wasn't the actual issue. So I would actually contend that discipleship to Jesus, and that people might be like, what are you talking about? How does that have anything to do with healing? Well, I think that's actually probably the best process of healing. I would say as a professional, I know no better psychologist than Jesus Christ. And I'm not just being pious and throwing things out there. If you really understand psychology, he, there's no one like him. I would say a, a second would probably be St. Paul. Hmm. He's probably the maybe second best psychologist who's ever lived. Um, and so with that in mind, it's crazy to think the greatest psychologist who ever lived is kind of odd in the sense that he's still alive and he invites me into a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And he really wants to be good friends with me, like really good friends, best friends if I'm open to it, like deep, deep heart level friendship. And he's an expert on everything that I've got going on in my life if I'll actually just be friends with him and not just want to use his power to make my problems go away. Like that to me is the good life. And I know it sounds crazy to people because they're like, what, give me the microwave approach. Like give me the one, two, three, my problems go away. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't actually make you happy. It doesn't actually work. So that's some initial thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I completely relate to that. 
I, I've pondered the same question. If, if the Lord would have just lifted all of my sins mm-hmm. immediately, you know, I would have either turned away from him thinking that I was my own solution, or I, I at least wouldn't have driven after him as vigorously as I did. Um, yeah. And um, I, I found a quote in um, Conrad Barr's writings, because when, when he was writing in, in the mid-20th century, it was when the charismatic renewal was coming on, and he had yes. the question posed to him, like, you, like, people have these healings physically. Why don't we mm-hmm. as commonly see emotional healings? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And his response, it kind of was in, in two, on two levels, um, mm. but essentially was that, that it wasn't actually merciful for God to heal mm-hmm. the emotional wound in the same way. And one of the reasons mm-hmm. he gave was um, because of how relational we are as human beings, and how our relationships depend on on really a, a, a common sharing, right? If, if we were immediately, completely emotionally healed instantaneously, how disjointed we would become from everyone uh, mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. And so, so there's this, um, this he described as a sort of a gradual process where, where the traumas or the wounds are revealed one at a time, and the Lord mm-hmm. sort of heals us which I think is important to realize because I know there, there are moments in my journey where, um, where I wondered if God had abandoned me, right? Well, God, you're not taking mm-hmm. this away. Like, are you really there? Like, do you really care? Mm-hmm. Um, or do I have to take control back? But then in that gradual process, what happens is then he's bringing us all up together. So, mm-hmm. so Jesus isn't just, although he is interested in, in my salvation, my flourishing, my holiness, he's also mm-hmm. interested in in a community of saints, um, wow. because it's—I I believe it's in the context of that community that God brings His kingdom about. You know, that old adage—it yeah. t- takes a village. Again, yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, that's—I uh, mean, it, it, you're you're pointing out something that you know in the Bible it says, "His ways are not our ways; His thoughts mm-hmm. are not our thoughts." And often we interpret that as a, "Oh, so He's He's." holding all the cards to his chest and he's playing tricks on me and he's yeah. he's got something always up his sleeve and essentially when we re- respond that way what we're saying is i don't trust you and mm-hmm. at that point we're right back in the garden of eden like that that is the first dilemma in all of humanity is the loss of trust the catechism even, even says that mm-hmm. so the restoration of trust you could argue is the deepest dynamic that is that the lord is after because if we fully trust him, the relationship flourishes because you listen, you inherently listen to what he says, like he's the best thing going and he's incredible. Right. And so, and it's not odd or weird or look at, he loves me. So I walk around with my awful cross and he's like, I love how you carry your cross. And no, the cross is purposeful so that something better can happen. It's not the end of the story. Like John Paul II says, we're a resurrected people. Alleluia is our song. We're not a crucified people that stay crucified for eternity. That's Paul saying, if the cross is all that there is, it's ridiculous. It's folly. We're the biggest fools that there are in the world. Um, but that's not the end of the story. And what an incredible invitation. I mean, it, yeah. Uh, people have people follow everybody like you know you mentioned people who are, are really worth paying attention to the the Bessel van der Kolks and the Jim Wilders the I mentioned Alan Shore you know Dan Siegel all these brilliant minds Dan Allender John Eldridge these great counselors but 
there's nobody like Jesus. And I'm a big fan of numerous ones of those people. And I follow what they say. So this whole concept of following someone or being a disciple is not actually odd. It's actually very common. It's very normal in humanity. I'm just saying my position is um, it's it's really hard to find somebody better than Jesus. I haven't found them. And I'm not sure I ever will. I mean, he's just he's pretty far ahead. It's like Michael Jordan compared to somebody else. Like, it's just not even close. So, yeah. 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 I'm. I'm convinced that uh, that part of conversion is Jesus offering us a new attachment love. Um, hmm. In that, in that it's in in prayer. You know, if you look at like uh, like an Ignatian style of prayer or a Carmelite kind of approach, mm-hmm. that there's really I think neurologically, if if someone ever paid for the study to hook people's brains after fMRI well, studies cool. when it's happening, I, I think yeah. you'd actually see um, attunement happening. A mutual mind state, uh, where 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 the person is literally being formed by what's happening in the prayer. Um, yes. But the one of the issues is, of course, Jesus. You know, he's there in the Eucharist. Obviously, praise God. Yes. Uh, yes. But the Eucharist doesn't always give me a lot of hugs, <laughs> um, and, and, <laughs> and and I can pray to Jesus. Um, yes. But I guess as we're kind of bringing the conversation to a close. Um, Okay. It, like in the twelve-step yeah. literature, they they talk about um, the the fellowship, the other people in the program being God with skin on. Yeah, um, yes. Yes. And it's like you're, you're receiving from the others. So I guess yes. Anything from your life of um, like how do we bridge that gap of like we need to receive from God what we actually need, but then in the yeah. context of our faith, how do we concretely accomplish that? Yeah, that's um, something that I, I talk about when I've when I give talks on various things is something that I call the mosaic. Um, and something that I've done over the years is I've realized that the father loves me really incredibly. Uh, Jesus loves me quite incredibly, and he often chooses to do it through other people. And if I let him be himself and I let I let him choose to be who he wants to be for some reason he likes doing it that way Hmm. um and so what i've done over the years is one had to get used to that and then two i've started to just go okay then i'll I'll receive it however you want to give it to me and so whenever i encounter somebody who reminds me of jesus uh somebody who's impacted me drawn me close like not just you know not just anybody but pretty significantly i take pictures with them and uh, I take a picture with me with them. And over the years, I've accumulated some pretty cool pictures of me with people who have embodied the love of God. And I call it a mosaic because to me, if I put all of those pictures together and, you know, I do the squinty eye thing and you try to see like the, the deeper thing, then I'm, I'm looking at the manifestation of God right mm-hmm. there. And... There are other times I have that are just me and God. It's not like, you know, he only works through. I have, a, I have numerous experiences that are the Lord directly loving me. But I'm human and I need, you're right, I need a hug. I need an explicit word from person in front of me who I can shake their hand or high five or give them a hug after it's over. And the Lord knows that and he honors that and he blesses that. And I've chosen... 
I don't want to forget these things. I don't want to forget these people. And mm-hmm. periodically I have to go back and look at them again and go, my goodness, like, look at, look at this. So mm-hmm. being open to God loving us however he would like, that, that takes trust. But it, it, I think if we do that, it's amazing what we'll show up and see. Like uh, another example of it I would call is love languages. I think God has very specific ways he likes to love people that are different than other people. Um, One of them for me is light, like sunlight or a rainbow or the sun shining through. As soon as I dialed into, wow, it's weird, like God's trying to show me some measure of affection it is incredible how often that happens for me. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's one of the rainiest places in the world. And you'd be shocked how often sunlight finds its way right on my bald head. And I'm just sitting there like, this shouldn't be happening right now. This is incredible. Or I have photo after photo after photo right outside my house here of giant rainbows right over the top of my home. And the kids go out and go, dad, another rainbow, it's amazing. And it's like him going, I love you. I so love you and I'll love you over and over and over and over again. And that's this real tangible way. But what it took was kind of dialing in to how he wanted to show me that he loved me. And once I was like, all right, I'll take it how you want to give it. It was like, it was nuts. Like it was everywhere. It was happening all the time. Like to me, that's a major part of healing is that relational dynamic that goes on. And I'm convinced everybody's got, I have a friend, hers, oranges. It's weird. It's like oranges. And she'll say a prayer, you know, like Therese's rose kind of thing. I think everybody's got one of those with the Lord. And so I think it's a cool thing. What is it? And press into that. Expect it. Anticipate. It's amazing how that stuff shows up and how the Lord goes, I'm with you. I love you. Your 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 mind. Um, anyway, so those are thoughts about that. No, I love that. I, that. Maybe that's the takeaway: is spend some time with the Lord and just ask Him, Lord, how do you love me? Like, show me how you love me, yeah. and then just yeah. pay attention, like in your day to day life, yeah. during your prayer time. Um, because I mean, the Lord does love us. Um, we need to experience it in the flesh, in our flesh. Um, Amen. He's 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 bringing that to us in a sac- the sacraments in a really special way, but he's also, um, I think, through our day-to-day life, going to dispose us to receive the grace that's there in the sacraments too. Um, so for each one of us, I love that. Um, he's, he's addressing our hearts individually. Um, yeah. 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 He knows our story yeah. better than yeah. we do. Amen. 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 Well, Jake, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Uh, I'm so uh, grateful I that you take it. the time. Um, yeah, I want to point everyone, if anyone wants more of this, the Restore the Glory podcast, they recently had a series on, um, um, it was uh, security, security, maturity, maturity. and purity. Yeah. I highly recommend that to everyone to check it out. Uh, go to his website, liferestoration.ca, uh, to find out everything he's up to. Um, but with that, uh, I just want to put in the, the perennial plug. If, if you want to support the work of Awakened Catholic, anything we do here on Physically Spiritual, please go to physicallyspiritual.com and consider becoming a patron of the show. And thank you and God bless everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share and I'm excited about the future of the show. 
So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.